Well, last Sunday after Carol Fest, uh, our family sat down to watch a perennial favorite in our house, a, a Charlie Brown Christmas. It's one of Sarah's favorite uh, go-to holiday movies. Now, even back in 1965, Charles Schultz showed the tension that existed between the consumerism of his culture, which is still present in our culture, and, and trying to discern through that the real meaning or purpose behind Christmas. I would argue that the pinnacle of the short cartoon is where Char- Charlie Brown has once again screwed things up by buying the, you know, the wrong Christmas tree. And all of his peers, including his dog, are just sitting there laughing at him for being such a screw-up. And Charlie Brown resigns himself to the fact that maybe he just doesn't get it. He doesn't know what Christmas is all about. And in a moment of frustration, he screams, Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Enter Linus to the rescue. Presumably Charlie Brown's best friend. He takes center stage and he recites a passage from the Gospel of Luke, the same one that we're going to look at here in a moment. And I've seen this before. If you've seen this before, you know what I'm talking about. The light's dim and it's just silent except for him reciting Scripture. But this year, I was clued into something a little bit different during his speech that I had never noticed before. Right, this lioness, the best friend of Charlie Brown, always, he was known for his blanket. He always carried his blanket around. It was his security. Earlier in the film, he jokes when his sister Lucy challenges him, like, when you grow up, what are you going to do with it? And he said, I'm going to make it into a sport coat. This item has always been in his hands and almost seems to be an extension of Linus's character. But what I noticed this year, when Linus gets to the part of the angelic announcement, the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ, he sets his blanket down on the stage. Now, I'm kidding. If, I'm not kidding. If you've never noticed this, I'd encourage you, go back and watch it again and keep on the lookout for it. I think it's a beautiful picture, right? This boy who always had this external source of security and comfort was able to put it down, put it to the side when he speaks of the wonders of the King of Kings who was born that Christmas day some 2,000 years ago. I cannot imagine that this was a coincidence, but instead was an intentional decision by Charles Schultz. I think he's trying to reflect the grandeur and the majesty and the love of this God who came to to earth to be born in this lowly stable. This humble king whom we worship has revealed so much about his character, even through the stories of his birth. If you want to follow along and open your Bibles or Bible apps or however you prefer to, to read the Scriptures, We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Now, just like we did last week, I'm going to break this into multiple sections. So keep it open so we can refer back to it a few times in the message. Now, I know Christmas hasn't happened yet, so we're we're kind of getting things a little out of order here by talking about the shepherds. But uh, just bear with me. You know, for the sake of the sermon's schedule, we're going to look at the shepherds this morning, which immediately follows the arrival of Jesus' birth even though we're getting these Advent portraits slightly out of order. So Luke chapter 2. I'm going to first read verses 8 through 14. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now this first section has two themes that I want us to consider. At the start of the passage, we see that the very first revelation of the birth of Jesus Christ to humanity is given by the angels to the shepherds. The first humans to ever hear the good news of the birth of the Savior is a bunch of guys out in the field watching over some livestock. The dichotomy here between the messenger and the recipient is staggering. Because there were no more exalted beings in the created order than angels. In the Old Testament, angelic messengers were the bridge linking communication between the supernatural and the natural. And at the same time, there were no more average Joes in that culture of Jesus' day than the shepherds. They were seen as the, the common person, lowly, humble. God didn't write the message of Christ's birth, out in the sky for all to see. He didn't send his angels to the religiously faithful priests in the temple of Jerusalem. He didn't send them to the seat of political power at the palace of Herod. Not even at the seat of of all political power in that day and age, the Roman, you know, Caesar Augustus in the Roman Empire. He sent his angels to the equivalent of your anti-murial, born and bred Yinzer from the town of Blonox. That's, that's who he sent him to. The first message of Christ's arrival went to the lowly, to the poor, the blue, the, the hard-working blue-collared people who didn't have a shred of political power. Once again, we see here that the economy of God subverts the economy of our world. I'm prone to think that if we were writing this story, we would have gone to the seats of power and influence. The goal would have been to be as strategic as possible to get this message, this good news, out to as many people as we could as quickly as we could. But as we see so often in the scriptures, that God uses the weak to upend the strong. That the foolishness of God is far wiser than the best wisdom that humanity has to offer. So we have the angels going to the shepherds. And they were terrified. Text says that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were unsure of what to make before their eyes. The angelic response is one that we have seen over the last few weeks. They're instructed to fear not. Notice this progression. The angel says, fear not. Do not be scared because what they are about to hear is good news that is going to give them great joy. 
Interestingly enough, this is a similar type of formula that was used in that day and age to describe announcements that came from the emperor, Caesar. Right? Caesar's arrival in a town was heralded as good news. It was an arrival that would bring about, they would use the language of salvation for the people. And I don't think it's an accident that the angels are using these culturally relevant means to communicate their news. Right? Because the one of whose birth they speak of was not just on par with Caesar, but was greater than him. Right? The angels provide these titles for Jesus, that he was a savior, indicating to the shepherds that this was a figure who was here for divine deliverance. Fitting with the prophetic announcements from Isaiah. We see this in Isaiah 25, 8, that God would swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the approach of his people he will take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Salvation is coming in the form of Jesus Christ. Right, the Greek word Christ that you find in the passage is drawn from the Hebrew word for Messiah, which literally means anointed one. This baby who had been born had the anointing of God on him, and the final title labels him as Lord. The angels tell the shepherds where they need to go, to the city of David, a reference here to Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David. And they'll find a child wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. As one commentator stated, Jesus may be lying in an animal trough, but heaven is present at his birth. What may have started off as terrifying for the shepherds at first escalates to a point that I imagine beyond what they could fathom. A host of angels appears before them. Now the word host doesn't just mean a lot of them. Sometimes we can, we can interpret that to mean just many. Multitude is the word that's used in our ESV earlier. But that word host signifies an army. It's a military term. A company of soldiers who show up in all of their regal grandeur and begin praising the Lord. And this is the second theme that I want us to draw from the passage. This angelic choir, this angelic army follows up the message with words of praise for God. They give glory to God for what he does and what he is doing in this moment. This isn't an opportunity to merely intellectually consider how God is at work. We're not just supposed to sit back and spectate and just take it all in. The blessings and favor of God when present invoke this need to praise. When God is at work, his angels, his people ought to turn to him in worship. Right? The, the call to worship is not to be forced. It's not something that we begrudgingly do, but it's not out of obligation, but it flows out of who God is. It is automatic. As I was prepping, the, the image that came to mind, I don't know if this will stick with you, but this is what came to my mind. Right? So let's say you know, some of you have probably been to a wedding before. You know, you're, you're celebrating at a wedding. Everyone's having a good time. They're laughing. They're dancing. You've got this DJ in the background. All of a sudden, cha-cha slide comes on track. And at which point, DJ Casper says, everybody clap your hands. And what, what does the room do? Yeah, 
I see my kids back there. People are clapping instinctively. Whether they were on the dance floor, whether they're participating or not, it doesn't matter. Everybody joins in because the joy, the celebration of that moment, it flows out of that, out of response. People jump in. Worship also ought to naturally flow out of the recognition of God's work, what he is doing in their midst. And that's what we see going on with the angels. Let's turn back to, to the text and see how the shepherds respond. So let's pick up at, at Luke 2. I'm going to read 15 through 20. When the angels went away from, he, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds respond with obedience to the angelic message. They follow the signs to Bethlehem, and they behold Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus lying in that manger. They, the lowly members of society, look upon their Messiah, their hope, their salvation, lying in these humble circumstances. Jesus is lying in this unsanitary feed trough of an animal. This baby who was the mighty God in the flesh lay there vulnerable. Jesus, in that moment, was the fullness of God, was holding the very atoms of our universe together, but at the same time, helpless as an infant, helpless apart from the assistance that he needed from others. His needs for food and hygiene, attention, could only be brought about and fulfilled by his earthly parents. I think this is what Paul is getting at in the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul uh, uh, quotes uh, an ancient Christian hymn. I don't think the words were original to Paul. But he quotes this, this Christian hymn, this song, this worship song about the humility of Jesus. And this is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Follow Christ's example, he says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used, another translation says. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Passage go on, goes on to talk about his, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection, but specifically here, his birth is in view. Right? Jesus is important not because of where or how he was born, but because of who he is. And the shepherds realize that their value is not based upon their vocation, their job, their work, their standing in life. But it's based, their value is based upon the one who claims them as his own. And so the final theme that I want us to see this morning is what I believe the shepherds do next. Having blessed 
or having seen this blessing, they departed the the manger and they kept it to themselves. Absolutely not. They went and made known, glorifying God, everything that they had heard and seen to anyone who would listen. They cannot help but testify to what they've experienced. The shepherds were the first revelation of of Jesus' birth to the human race, but they also became the first evangelists, telling others about this good news that they've witnessed. Those are our three themes this morning. First, that God goes to the lowly. Second, we see this angelic praise to God flowing out of what God has done. And finally, that the shepherds share the story of Jesus with others. And so I want to close out our time seeing how these themes might apply to our lives as well. So first, God goes to the lowly, but do we? Time and time again, God shows us that his value structure is radically different from our own. Jesus was the savior of the world, but yet arrives in this quiet, humble manner. Even the life and ministry of Jesus was not focused on getting the word of the gospel out as efficiently as possible. He could have gone to any town he wanted to draw a crowd just by performing some miracles, getting people to come out, and then, you know, share the good news. But there are so many times that even in the Gospels, Jesus appears to work in obscurity. He lived this intentional, slow-paced life. As I said a few moments ago, the first announcement of this, this miraculous birth came not to the powerful and influential, not to the famous, but to the lowly, a bunch of yinzers out on the field. The testimony of the Scriptures revealed, reveals that God has a heart for the downcast the brokenhearted. The scriptures tells us that God cares for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant among us. The good news of Jesus Christ is that the gospel levels the playing field. No longer could one ethnicity claim that they had a corner on the market for his affection. That's what a lot of the first conflicts in the early church were about. The the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's chosen people. No longer could one gender claim privilege before him. That's what Paul writes about in Galatians chapter, I think it's three. No occupation was any greater than any others because the gospel truth is for everyone. His announcement to the shepherds provides one more claim on that truth, that God cares and supports those who the world often overlooks and dismisses. But how did this reality of God caring for the brokenhearted, caring for the lowly, intersect with our lives? Because I think that God cares for the overlooked. He cares for the oppressed. But do we? Are we orienting our lives to even notice those who the rest of society fails to see? Right? Do we notice the stressed out mom at the grocery store who is clearly at her wit's end with three screaming children in tow? If we notice her, is our, no, is our gaze one of judgment? Have we ever chosen to give her words of comfort and encouragement? Have we ever asked if she could use any help? Probably, if you're like me, the most likely alternative is that we just pass by silently. 
being thankful that it isn't us that's drawing the attention? What about the kid who sits alone at the lunch table at our school? Maybe the one that seems to be just a little bit more socially awkward, doesn't, feel, doesn't seem like they have any friends. Are we going out of our way to interact with them, to care for them? Right? Because daily our lives intersect with others who are lowly, who are overlooked by the world. What might it look like to offer a helping hand to the woman at the grocery store or to extend our friend network and invite that isolated kid to eat lunch with us and our friends? Sometimes there are people hurting when we go about our days. They're so down on themselves that all they need is a friendly face to tell them that there is a God, to remind them that he loves them deeply. Next, we see that the angels praise God for what he has done, but to we. As I mentioned before, angels were considered the most exalted creatures in all of creation. Now, we are, as humanity, uniquely formed in God's image. But the writer of Hebrews tries to flush this out a little bit of time, that at that time in history, mankind was considered just a little lower than the angels. And so if we think of the angels as these exalted beings, and they live to serve and praise God, then surely we ought to follow suit in that. In the Bible, when the veil is pulled back, and we see the spiritual realm, we see where God dwells, the angelic posture is always one of worship. The seraphim in Isaiah, the six-winged creatures, they're in the throne of God singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The cherubim, these odd creatures with, with four different faces and all these wheels around them, we find in the, the prophet Ezekiel, they bear on their shoulders the throne of God. The living beings in the book of Revelation sing the resounding truth that God is worthy to be praised because he is the one who was and is and is coming. In our narrative, the angels sing about the glory of God, his fame. They speak words of comfort and blessing upon humanity on whom God's favor rests. They acknowledge the incredulous thing that has happened, that God, the immutable, unchangeable one, has left his place of honor and has taken on human flesh. Chances are they may not have fully understood God's plan at this point in time, what God was about to do to suffer, to die, to come back to life, to work salvation for humanity, but they know something special is going on. They praise God because they know he is at work doing something for the world. Now, what does this mean for us? If one of the primary functions of angels is to praise, then we should also praise God for what he has done. The language of the heavenly beings these angelic beings singing, is described as endless in the scriptures, day and night. Now, I'm not saying that means that every waking breath needs to be singing worship songs, but I want to encourage us to consider what it might mean for us to have that same posture in our lives as well. Because all of life can be an act of worship for God. 
worship doesn't just have to be singing songs in church. That's why I'm very clear, if you notice, when we break for the offering, I don't say we're going to pause worship, but we're going to continue in worship because even our giving can be an act of worship. Right? Worship doesn't have to be just listening to Caleb in the car or meditating to, to praise music while we read our Bibles. Brother Lawrence was a 15th century monk, and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Right? He learned to commune with God. Do you know where it was that he had this just palpable, this tangible experience with the presence of God? It was in the mundane activity of doing the dishes in their monastery. If we can praise God while cleaning caked on food off of our flatware, then surely God can be praised everywhere. When we go to the grocery store, when we pay our bills, even when we're sitting in the dentist chair, God can be praised. Every moment is a time, it's an opportunity to worship God the Lord, and reflect on His goodness and mercy, whatever the situation it is that we face. Because we know God's at work. Right? So we, always, we sing in that song, Waymaker. We haven't done that one in a while. We should cue that up after Christmas. Right? Even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, I know you're working. This week, I want to encourage you to be on the lookout. Find places where you can worship God, that you can kind of tune your antenna into what God might be doing spiritually in your midst. Find some new spaces to bring praise, to bring worship to God. My last charge is in reference to how the shepherds behave after seeing Jesus. Because once the shepherds encounter Jesus, they share his story with others. But do we? they can't help but testify to what they've experienced, right? These shepherds were the first evangelists, the first ones to go out and share the good news of this miraculous child with their neighbors. I know that this is an area that provides a lot of intimidation for us. Sometimes it's easier and at very least safer to keep our faith close to our chest. Right? We don't want to open ourselves up to potential ridicule. We keep it close because we don't, we don't want to offend someone. We don't want to colonize their worldview. But the gospel is not about coercion. It's not about control. It's not about exerting power over other people. It's about freedom. Right? The gospel is about freedom from sin and brokenness, but also a freedom so that we can be a people who can walk in the pathway of God that God has said it is good for people to live, that we can see our communities flourish as a result of his restorative work in us and through us. Now, while this may seem scary, the truth is we share the good news about what we enjoy all the time. This past week, I found a new favorite television show. I had uh, three months of uh, three free months of Apple TV that I redeemed, and Sarah and I have started watching Ted Lasso. If you have not seen it, you should watch it. It is great. A little bit of language, a lot of language, but it is a great, great show. I, I know uh, I've shared before that um, I love for the Paddington movies. Paddington, you know, he's just this gentle, innocent bear that as he interacts with others, naturally he improves their lives just with his presence. Right? The, the way that I usually put it is that he leaves redemption in his wake. 
And let me tell you, Ted Lasso is just the adult version of Paddington. He's got this foolish optimism that can't help but win people over. Right? The more that I watch the show, the more I overlap and see the beauty of the gospel in this. Not only in his security of who he is, even though people are out to get him, but just the way that he just cares for people, genuinely. He's not in, it. He's not in this for himself. I don't have any problem telling anyone who's willing to listen to me about the show. I enjoy it, and I think there are others who enjoy it as well, so I freely pass on that recommendation. We all do this all the time. A few months ago, Jason, who plays drums with us sometimes, he, he shared a podcast with me called The Improvement Association. It's a story about election fraud. It's fascinating. You should all listen to it. But Jason knew of my interest in local politics, and, and, and you know, for a number of years, I had served as the, the judge of elections, right? One of the person that oversaw that, that polling place, one of the polling places here in Swissville. And so this is something that I had an interest in. And so Jason knew that. He's like, Chris, I think you're going to enjoy this. Drew, who we said goodbye to last week, loves Dungeons and Dragons. And he invited many of us regularly in this congregation into his fict fictional world to play alongside him. Will and Mike love gardening. Will takes his produce. I've, I've seen this. I've witnessed that. He'll, he'll make hot sauce and he'll hand it off to people. Jen blesses people with baked goods from her favorite bakeries here in Pittsburgh. I'm sure she'll find some new ones out there in D.C. Right? Craig and Abby describe their adventures hiking the New York high points. We all have things that we love that become a contagious part of our identity that we freely share with others. Sharing our faith should be no different. My life has been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. I share the love of God that I have experienced and I use it to point others to that same space so that they can experience that redemption, that freedom as well. Don't squelch that desire to share with others. None of us know. We don't know how much that love of God when given to someone else can be a gift to someone at the, a critical moment in their life. I've heard countless stories of folks who just feel like they're at their, their last straw, their wit's end. And all it takes is someone to say that God loves them. And man, that's that catalyst that just starts turning things around. Just like the shepherds, I want us, I want to encourage us to go and take what we have learned, what we have seen, what we have heard in these spaces, what we've learned about Jesus, and tell others about him as well. In this story, we can see the character of God and the way that we ought to respond to it. God subverts the cultural powers, by beginning this message of grace, not to the highbrows, but the lowly. The angels see the wonders of God and they respond with praise. And the shepherds witness all of this. And they cannot help but share this good news with others. May we learn lessons from these figures this morning and see how we can continue to orient our lives around the model that God has set forth for us. Because we celebrate this king who has come. 
and we herald his arrival to those around us. Join me in prayer. Lord, what is mankind, what is humanity that you are mindful of us? While we were living in overt rebellion to you, you came and descended, taking on, humbling yourself, taking on the form of, of our flesh. You've lived that life that we couldn't live, and you died the death that we deserved, that we might be free, that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, as we celebrate the season of Christmas, as our culture celebrates the season of Christmas, may we see these points of connection that we can highlight to others. Just like Linus did to Charlie Brown of the true meaning of Christmas, celebrating your arrival and sharing it with others. Lord, give us this week opportunities to be bold in that faith, to be bold in sharing, not out of obligation, not to, not to beat people over the heads with our Bibles, but to clue people in to the love that you have for us, that you have shown us, that they also might experience your redemption. Give us your power through your Holy Spirit as we walk in faith this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.